Welcome back to the Fifth Down Fantasy Podcast. I am Alex Caruso, and today we are talking the biggest late-round sleepers in best ball formats. It is best ball season right now. Best Ball Mania 4 is going on, and today we are breaking down each of our top five sleepers in best ball format. We're going to go through today and talk about our quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and our biggest sleeper of them all. Joining me today as my co-host as normal, Ben Wolby, is still traveling, still on vacation. He is still driving somewhere. God knows where at this point. But I brought in another data specialist in Ryan Reynolds. So Ryan, welcome. We'll lead off with you. Who is your quarterback sleeper that you think everyone needs to be targeting in fantasy football? Right now, if I can't get one of the elite guys, I end up targeting Daniel Jones. Now that Alex Rich, now that Richardson's in the league, we're talking Jones is like the sixth or seventh best running quarterback in the sport. He's pretty much the last. He's pretty much the last Konami quarterback that's actually going to start that we can expect to start the whole season. So whenever he's available in round nine, and I don't have a quarterback, he's the guy I have my eyes set on. I love that. And where in right now in, in best ball format. Where are you taking your quarterbacks the most? Like, are you finding your quarterbacks early in the draft, in the middle of the draft, or late in the draft? Like, where do you see your guys ending up in most? And have you ended up with a lot of shares of Daniel Jones? Yeah, Daniel Jones right now is my highest exposure at quarterback, simply because, like, I target Deshaun Watson a lot. And otherwise, like, if I take Travis Kelsey, I'm looking for Patrick Mahomes. If I take Jamar Chase, I'm looking for Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes. So I'm underweight currently on all of those, like, really high-end quarterbacks because I'm looking for them in certain situations. So right now I am trying to take two in the round eight to 10-ish range more often than not. And what do you think that Daniel Jones is ceiling this is, is this year? Like with Darren Waller added to the team, they're going to get some healthy pass catchers back. Like what do you think the best overall finish for Daniel Jones looks like? Yeah, one of the things that I like about him this year is like you said, better skill group. He kind of had a limited passing season last year, so there's a ton of upside there. Like if he hit, you know, the lower low four thousands, I think that's on the table. Then you factor in six hundred, seven hundred rushing yards like he had last year, get his passing touchdowns up above twenty. I think if I was gonna pick out a stack line, I'd say something around four thousand yards passing, twenty-four passing touchdowns, seven hundred rushing yards, hopefully around ten touchdowns on the ground. And that would be a top five fantasy quarterback. The guy for me is a guy that has a similar skill group in Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson right now is going as the QB 18 in best ball format. And his worst finish in his 11-year career is the QB 16. I mean, he's been the QB 9 or better in eight of his 10 seasons. And he might not get a skill position upgrade, but he is getting a massive coaching upgrade with Sean Payton. Even if you look at the small splits last year after Nathaniel Hackett was gone, I mean, Russell Wilson was only behind Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes in points per game over those weeks. So it doesn't mean that that five-game sample size is going to work out over the entire season, but Russell Wilson has been a consistently great finisher. Every year that Sean Payton has been a head coach, he's had gotten productive quarterback play, and I think that is going to help someone like Russell Wilson that has phenomenal weapons where they also get the running backs back in Javante Williams and Samaj P. Ryan. I mean, Latavius Murray had more than double the rush yards of any player on the Broncos last year. So I'm all in Russell Wilson. Are you feeling the same way? Or do you think that I should be not so not so confident on Dangerous? No, I'm with you too. I think he's going to have a bounce back season. He kind of ends a quarterback tier for me too. So if I'm looking for a quarterback too, in a situation where like say I have Daniel Jones or I have Richardson, I'm definitely looking for Russell Wilson as like the the end of the line there and even still i'd probably rather take him over golf at this point so i'm in on russell wilson too and i think that also russell wilson that like we might not get the same consistent week to week uh, russell wilson that we've had in years past but with this team with this coaching staff and what we expect him to look like he's more perfect for a best ball format because he's a quarterback that even last year 
in his worst games had spike weeks. And that's what we're looking for in these guys that can win us a week single-handedly. And Russell Wilson had a couple of really huge weeks toward the end of last season. But let's move on to the running back position on some guys that could be really valuable there. Ryan, who is it for you that is your big-time sleeper running back that you can't stop drafting right now? My highest exposure player to this point is Damian Harris on Buffalo. Harris is the best pure runner that Josh Allen's ever played with. And my angle here is this. One, Josh Allen has come out and said that he needs to take less contact. And two, Buffalo turned the ball over in the red zone a lot, primarily because they're very reliant on their passing game all across the board. I could see Harris seeing a seeing a bump in red zone usage because they're trying to limit those turnovers, trying to limit Allen taking big shots. If he had 1,200 yards rushing with 10 touchdowns, I think that's possible. That said, if Dalvin Cook goes there, that's a disaster. Yeah, that would be a huge yeah. disaster for Damian Harris. But what do you think that like his – like, I think there's a scenario where he gets ends up with something like 15 rushing touchdowns this year. I don't think it's out of the range of possibilities. I'm with you on a runner, but what do you say to the people that say, Ryan, like, why am I going to draft Damian Harris when James Cook is going to be the pass catching running back here? Like, if Damian Harris isn't going to see a lot of targets, you're hoping for an outlier touchdown season, but Josh Allen's still there at, at quarterback and he's going to steal rushing touchdowns. Like, what do you say to those people right now in drafts? I think that's fair. I'm about even on, on Cook, so I'm not completely out on him. I think he actually has a higher ceiling, if that makes sense, because if, say, Buffalo, you know, they tried to sign Jarek McKinnon last year, so they want a pass catching back. Naheem Hines is there, too, so they kind of want that, but they, they haven't yet shown it. So I think that's on the table where, you know, maybe Cook has 50 receptions or so this season. But again, I, I think Harris is the better runner. I think Harris is going to lead the team in carries where his, his ceiling is more like 200 points, but I think that's much more obtainable than Cook's best case scenario. And I think people also forget, like I, one, I think that Damian Harris, there's a real chance that he takes over as the lead running back in Buffalo. Okay. And Devin Singletary, who played all four of his career seasons in Buffalo, has a career average of over 14 touches per game. And Devin Singletary, I don't think is very good. Like if I had to right. pick, Starting my NFL team right now with Damian Harris or Devin Singletary, I would actually take Damian Harris all day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with you put that with the touches that Singletary saw in this offense, the scoring, everything like that, I think that Damian Harris is a perfect one. My guy for me is someone that I've been pounding the drum for, and he's only gone down in ADP while I've been continuing to pound the drum, is Antonio Gibson right now, who's going as the running back 38 in drafts. He is taking over the J.D. McKissick role in this offense into what he already had. So J.D. McKissick has run over 50% of the commander's pass routes every single year for the last three years, which should almost all go to Antonio Gibson, whose underlying metrics as a pass-catching running back last year were fantastic. He was seventh in yards per route run. He had a 23% target rate when he was on the field. And now Ron Rivera said that they're going to utilize Antonio Gibson more this season. I mean, Gibson has finishes of the running back 12, the running back 13 and the running back 27 last three years. And now the pass catching running back is gone and he's going over 10 spots lower at the running back position. I mean, he's still going to be just 25 years old this year. And on top of that, they also added in Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator who has favored a lot of pass catching running backs with the chiefs over the last few years. So I am all in on Antonio Gibson, but do you have a, do you have the other side of Antonio Gibson? Like why shouldn't I be drafting him or are you completely on the same page that I am? No, I've taken, again, I think Gibson ends a tier in best ball drafts currently. I like him a lot. The primary reason is this. He already has standalone value, particularly as a pass rusher or pass catcher. He's still going to get a decent amount of carries every week. But if Brian Robinson goes down, all of a sudden Antonio Gibson's a borderline running back one on a Washington team that's offensive line improved this offseason. So 
I like them too. Do you like the Washington offense as a whole? Because like they have, I think, some pretty awesome weapons in you know Terry McLaurin. They have Deshaun, sorry, Jahan Dotson and these two running backs. Like, do you think that either with Jacoby Brissett or with Sam Howell or one of those guys specifically that this offense can actually take a step forward? I mean, how I'd uh, how I'd view the Commanders is they're a quarterback away from being very dangerous. And, you know, we saw Brissett was pretty good in Cleveland last year, too. So expecting that Howell's at least a Brissett equivalent, and if he's not, he ends up getting benched for him. My answer is almost. Yeah, almost. I, I completely agree, almost. Like I think there's going to be weeks, whether it's Howell or Brissett, where it could be week one, and they have a really great week, and then all of a sudden everyone's like, why didn't we draft the Commanders in fantasy football? And then next week they don't look that great. I think they're going to be one of those teams that's going to have some really on weeks and some really off weeks. But I think in total, they're going to end up being a pretty mid to low tier team. But let's move on to wide receiver for the purpose of best ball. Best ball, you draft three wide receivers in every single draft. So let's talk about an extra wide receiver. So we'll do two wide receivers for this segment. Ryan, we'll go to you first. Like, who is that wide receiver, the first wide receiver for you that you cannot stop drafting right now outside the top 100 picks? The guy that I'm taking a lot late is Chase Claypool. You know, I'll, I'll give you my, my reasoning behind that. Chicago was a run-centric team last year for a couple of reasons. The first one is they had very they below-average pass protection, especially early in the year. And two, they might have had the white, worst wide receiver group in the league. The addition of DJ Moore not only makes the whole group better, but it puts Claypool and Darnell Mooney back in their more natural positions as role players. Claypool has a much different skill set than Moore. And what I particularly like about him is if you can get a guy in the 17th round or so that has two touchdown upside in a single game, Claypool is one of those guys that has shown that he can do that. Would you agree, though, that that in redraft formats that Chase Claypool doesn't have like the same allure that he would in like a best ball format that you can get in the last round? Yes, I'd say Claypool at absolute most in redraft is your last round pick that you you're ready to drop if usage is low early in the year. Yeah, because my my problem is, I mean, like the Bears last year passed 22 times per game, which is really bad. Even if they improve that by 25 percent, that's 25 or sorry, that's around like 28 attempts last year, which would have still been a bottom five or bottom seven number in the league. And over the last decade, since 2013, 89% of wide receivers that finish inside the top 24 come from teams that are at least 25th or better in pass attempts. And when they already have DJ Moore, that hurts that percentage even more of Chase Claypool getting there. I agree, though, in best ball that he's someone that is going to have spike weeks. To me, he could be like a Will Fuller light where most of the season he's terrible, but if he has four weeks where he has 100 yards and a touchdown or two, I think that he could be really explosive for best ball. My guy is someone that I'm more looking for consistency from every single week in Jacoby Myers, and I cannot stop drafting Jacoby Myers right now, and it's because I think the Patriots misutilized him completely, and he came into the NFL as a slot wide receiver that played quarterback, and he understood the, the route concepts, but for me, like Jacoby Myers has actually thrived on the outside, on the perimeter, where he only played about 30% of the time in New England. I mean, over the last two years, he had the second highest target per route run rate from the perimeter of any wide receiver in the NFL. And he was also sixth in yards per route run from the outside. He also has back-to-back top 30 finishes in fantasy and has increased his fantasy points per game all four years of his career. Granted, the other side of this coin is he's not the wide receiver one in this team anymore. He's playing with Devontae Adams, but with the fact that they have their slot wide receiver. So Myers should be able to play exclusively outside. He's gotten better every single season. I don't see why he should be going outside the top 50 wide receivers right now. 
when he said back-to-back top 30 finishes and has improved every year. So like, what am I missing, Ryan? Uh, I, I think that's very interesting because since the schedule came out, Raiders-Colts is one of my favorite games in Week 17. So I've been forcing Myers a little bit just to get a sh- get shares of that game. And you selling on selling him on me more here is very interesting. I, I'm I'm definitely bearish on the Raiders as a whole, so I'm concerned that their offense is just going to, you know, especially if, with Jimmy Garoppolo being hurt. If Ryan Hoyer's at the helm, that's that's going to be a messy, messy situation over there. That said, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say that said, Myers is never going to see primary coverage with cornerbacks as long as Devontae Adams is on the field. Josh McDaniels is familiar with him. He's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, and I think beyond that, like the the problem that I have right now is that like yes, if Jimmy Garoppolo like is magically not on this team and Brian Hoyer is the quarterback one, which I don't anticipate happening, then Myers right. is automatically like a bad value. Like a, a wide receiver fifty is probably not worth it. But like I just don't see a world that exists where they're going to walk into their season and have Brian Hoyer be the quarterback for seventeen games. Beyond that, right, right. with someone like whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or not, like. Myers was already going in this range anyway. This wasn't like a Jimmy Garoppolo injury thing and then Myers flopped way down. He's been going this way the whole offseason. But I digress. Who is the second wide receiver for you that you can't stop drafting? Yeah, I mean, in best ball, you, you want you know at least seven wide receivers. Often you want eight or nine. So sometimes in round 18, you need a guy. And for me, it's Darius Slayton. I think Jalen Hyatt's usage could increase as the season goes on. But early in the year, the Giants just extended Slayton. He was reasonably productive last year. He's been with Daniel Jones for years now and you know he has that lid lifting speed where again he has 100 yards touchdown upside i've been taking him in in the last round quite often this year what do you think that his his ceiling is for this year because again you talk about claypool and slayton as these like final round picks like where do you think like his best finishes will come from or do you think it's similar to claypool we're just going to be going for spike weeks it's similar to Claypool, where in a redraft league, you don't want these guys, especially because it's going to be very hard to identify which weeks they're going to pop off. So, you know, a season-long stat line of like 800 yards and, you know, six six or more touchdowns would be a good thing for Slayton. But like Claypool, like you mentioned before, I'm looking for four weeks where he has 100 yards and a touchdown. Are there any other Giants pass catchers that you're going after? Like outside of Darren Waller, like is there an Isaiah Hodgins or Sterling Shepard or Wandale Robinson that you're getting any shares of? I do like Hodgins. I'm I'm probably around 12% exposure on him right now in best ball. He has a different skill set than everyone else. They basically went out of their way to acquire speed this year. So Hodgins being a bigger, more contested catch player is interesting. And with Paris Campbell and Jalen Hyatt and Wandell Robinson, I'm getting a little bit of all of them just for the Week 17 game correlations with the Rams since the Rams have a terrible secondary, but not really going out of my way to take any of those guys exactly. Yeah, my guy for me that is my second wide receiver is Elijah Moore. And this is something that I came across this week that is like unbelievable about Elijah Moore. So over the last 10 years, there have been 16 wide receivers in the NFL to surpass an 80 plus PFF receiving grade as a rookie. Elijah Moore is one of those 16. Did you know, Ryan, Elijah Moore is the only player of those 16 that does not have a top 14 fantasy finish. Every other player has a wide receiver one season except Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin's best finish was this past year and was the wide receiver 14. That's it. Like, like Elijah Moore is the only player on this entire list that has not finished really as a wide receiver one yet. Does I do, I'm not saying that he's going to finish this year, but right now he is going late in drafts around the ninth round. He's also one of the very few players in reception perception history that has succeeded a 75% or better rate versus man coverage. 
there's only been two players since 2015 that have not hit a thousand yard season and has crossed that 75% threshold. It's Curtis Samuel and Sterling Shepard. I think Sterling Shepard would have crossed it a few times if it weren't for injuries. Curtis Samuel, I guess, is just one of those rare ones. But again, it's another rare company that has not hit a thousand yards. Beyond that, the Browns have said over OTAs, they've been working to feed Elijah Moore the ball. And it's still the same guy that from week six till he got hurt in week 14, his rookie year was the wide receiver five in points per game. And now gets by far the best QB of his career and has the, the clear wide receiver two on the Browns right now. There's no one else that's going to challenge him for snaps. And I think if he stays healthy, there's a real chance he outperforms his ADP and ends up as a top 30 or top 24 fantasy wide receiver this year. Yeah, this is very exciting to me because all of a sudden the last week or so too, Elijah Moore has been you know increasingly becoming more uh, appealing for me. I've been going out of my way to take him more. And I have a soft spot for him, too. When he blew up the Colts in his rookie year, I won a showdown tournament having him in the captain. Captain, So I've always liked Elijah Moore. He's a dynamic talent, speed, athleticism. And here's the thing. If you're bullish on Deshaun Watson at all, you know, this is one of the – if Deshaun Watson does well, Elijah Moore probably goes with him. So I'm trying to take Watson and Moore all the time now. And another thing that I really love, <clears throat> give you some narrative street, Week 17 against the Jets is a revenge game for Elijah Moore, where, where Amari Cooper is probably going to get the, more, the most sauce gardener. So I like him from that angle as well. And the other way that you could also look at it, if, you, if we want to play the narrative angle, is that like Amari Cooper historically has been much better at home than on the road. Like he's historically, like whether with Dallas or with Cleveland, has been a horrendous wide receiver on the road. So just in terms of spike weeks, Elijah Moore could also be a perfect target because if he continues in his long career now to be bad on the road, like that could be the Elijah Moore weeks that we're targeting him, whether it's in DFS or his potential spike weeks in best ball. I cannot get enough of him. But what about the tight end position? This is the hardest position in playing the late round sleeper in best ball is like who is going to be this year's late round tight end? Is there a certain player that that is for you that you can't get enough of? I know I keep saying that, but like there has to be somebody this year that – is not Chickaconquo that could be this year's late round tight end. Yeah, I mean, I've said I've said in the past that I need to consult the priest with my tight end selection some years. Last year I did pretty well. This year, the guy that I I like the most is Tyler Conklin. Very good athlete. I'd say he's at least the second best tight end Aaron Rodgers ever played with. Jermichael Finley is the other guy throwing that mix. He's been pretty consistent. He's had over hundred fantasy points in each of the last two years in two different offenses. I think his floor is pretty solid and his ceiling is fascinating with Aaron Rodgers in town now. Yeah, completely. Do you think that like he could see like somewhere in, in the neighborhood of like 80 or 90 targets? Like, is that a possibility with Tyler Conklin? I, I do think so. I mean, after Garrett Wilson, who's the second option in that passing attack? Alan Lazard. I mean, I don't think he really excites a whole lot of us. Corey Davis might not be on the team. McCole Hardman didn't really make it work with Patrick Mahomes. So how much do we really want to bet on him? I think Conklin could end up being second on the team in targets at season's end. Yeah, I think but that's that's the part that's interesting because like I just put out a study on this on on Twitter this past week where among tight ends to like hit 80 plus targets in a season, I mean 76% of those guys finished inside the top 12. And if you take that further to just guys that hit 90 targets, I mean 74 of the 79 guys over the last decade to see 90 targets have hit like we're in the top 12. There's only been five guys to hit that 90 target march and not finish inside the top 12. And even that, for those guys, like they're unbelievable if he can see that target volume. And I actually think that as much as people are excited about an Alan Lazard 
or a McCole Hardman. Like those guys historically like have not had really good target shares from season to season. And if they don't continue to see good target shares, like that opens up the door for someone like Tyler Conklin to take a big target share this year. The guy for me is Greg Dulcich. I mean, Greg Dulcich had the fourth most receiving yards per game since 2010. I mean, that's ahead of George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Gronk, Aaron Hernandez. I mean, the only guys to finish higher are Evan Ingram, Jordan Reed, and Kyle Pitts. It's not a bad company to be a part of, but Sean Payton has gotten a lot of really great production out of tight ends. David Cottieri put it out on Twitter the other day that Sean Payton got four 10-touchdown seasons out of Jimmy Garoppolo. He got over 700 yards from a 29-year-old Jerry Shockey. He got 825 yards out of a 35-year-old Benjamin Watson and got over 700 yards and nine touchdowns out of Jared Cook. Like I would argue that there's a chance that Greg Doles is just like a, just a better player than all of those guys at that stage of their career. And also, Sean Payton mentioned at OTAs the other day that Greg Dulcich is going to play their joker role, which is the guy that they look to create mismatches on the field. I mean, this is a crazy part of the offseason where he's comparing Greg Dulcich to Alvin Kamara, Darren Sproles, and Reggie Bush. <laughs> I don't think that Greg Dulcich is any of those guys, but the fact they're looking at him to play that joker role is pretty interesting, and they've had a lot of success with tight ends in the past. But is there another side to Greg Dulcich where like the reasons against him uh, for me, man. I mean, like you said, I you think Dolchis is a better player in his current age now than those guys were when they played with Sean and pitched Sean Payton's offense. When sh- when Dolchis was drafted, I'm a Giants fan, and they had a big need at tight end. And when they passed on him, it actually like saying it made me upset is probably a, a little bit of a stretch. But I was I wasn't very happy. I love Greg Dolchis as a talent. Russell Wilson's a, a lot of tight ends have had pretty big spike weeks under Russell Wilson too. I mean, Will Disley, who's maybe the most overpaid man in the NFL. He had a couple, you know, 100 yards in a touchdown games, a couple of two touchdown games. And just the fact that Sean Payton's talking about Dolchers as a mismatch weapon in this new offense is very exciting. You like Russell Wilson, stacking him up with Greg Dolchers and best ball is a pretty good idea. And, and let me just go back to this real quick is that like Greg Dolchers is going as tight end 15 right now. That's a really great value. Regardless, if that was redraft, that's a phenomenal value. Yep. But like, what are, like, listen to what you just said. Like he's playing this Joker mismatch role. That doesn't mean every week he's going to be the mismatch. But in those five or six weeks where they have a huge mismatch, and if Greg Dolch is their guy for those five or six weeks, those are the exact type of spike weeks that you're going to be looking for. But I also am more of a proponent that he's going to give you the week-to-week consistency as well. I cannot get me enough Greg Dolcich. But let's move on to the biggest player in all of the draft, in our biggest sleeper in best ball formats right now. Who is that guy for you? Because you talked about every position – but like, who's the one guy more than anybody right now that you can't stop targeting? I'm going to give you a guy who's a little gross. You know, Damian Harris is my highest exposure player, but a running back that I look at late is Kenneth Gainwell for two reasons. One, Rashad Penny and Swift, they're not exactly beacons of health. So he could be thrust into a major role in an offense that has a top five offensive line, a mobile quarterback to create space. Then on top of that, that week 17 game against the Cardinals, we've heard Joe Banner say, Philly purposely throws early so they can run late. If they end up taking a commanding lead against the Cardinals early, they're going to be near the playoffs. Give give Swift some rest. Give Penny some rest. I could see Gainwell getting a usage spike where maybe he finishes with 100 yards and two touchdowns. We are getting him for free in best ball drafts right now. Yeah, I I love that in the way that I could look in the playoffs. Like, do you do you think that Kenneth Gainwell like if 
Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift got hurt, for example, and they were missing a game. Like, do you think that Kenneth Gainwell could ever be a 70% snap share guy if like everyone else in the backfield gets hurt? Or do you think that it would just be if he sees 50% of the snaps and he's the clear pass catching guy in the role that he would play, like he would just be productive off of that alone? I think he could hold up to that for a very short period of time. But like say they both missed the season, I think they'd have to go elsewhere to help supplement them where he'd probably be the lead back. Like you said, like 50% and maybe Boston Scott gets 30% and someone else gets 20. But if if he needed to step in for two or three weeks, I do think they could give him some significant run for, for that kind of short period. Yeah, for me, the guy that I am going after a lot that's going in the wide receiver 60 range is Nico Collins. And Nico Collins is someone that I just continuously keep going back to the well on because like last year in the NFL, there were nine players that had over a 40% end zone target share. Nico Collins is one of them. And last year of the other eight, all the other eight have had a top 15 fantasy finish at some point in their career. His target per route run rate has been better without Brandon Cooks. His target share has been better with Cooks and they don't have a lot of other guys right now. So still going in the wide receiver 60 range, like why are we not drafting him more? What do you think? I mean, here's the thing. He has a path to being the top pass catcher on the offense. CJ Stroud is a traditional pocket passer where he might run a little bit more in the pros just because he has to, but he like his archetype is more along the lines of Dak Prescott. Texans offensive line is a shot to be a top 10 type unit. And, you know, again, target competition there. You have Robert Woods. So maybe he's, you know, He's, you're definitely not stretching the field with Robert Woods. Maybe he gets, you know, underneath drags and has, you know, six, seven targets a game. But I think Collins definitely has the most upside out of that group. And the other thing is they play the Titans, who were a bottom-tier pass defense last year, twice in the best ball playoffs. So you can get two potential spike weeks in those matchups with Collins. And those will be the exact weeks to target. But I, I think, like, the biggest thing is just the fact that over the last two years, he's seen a 25% target per route run rate when Brandon Cooks is not on the field. And now the only main guys that he's going to be competing with are Robert Woods, Tank Dell, Noah Brown, and John Mechie. I mean, that says to me that he could be a screaming value in fantasy football if they pass. The passing volume is going to have to be there. They're going to have to finish in the top half. But I'm not really a huge believer in their defense, and I wouldn't be shocked if they end up throwing the ball a lot more than we think this year, especially with someone like C.J. Stroud that could be a big quarterback upgrade for them. But – that is it for today and all the guys that we cannot stop targeting, Ryan. It's been a pleasure having you. Make sure to follow him at Ryan Reynolds NFL and follow me at Alex Caruso. But don't forget to tune in to the next episode of the Fifth Down Fantasy Podcast coming out every single Tuesday at 2 p.m. But until next time, keep drafting Antonio Gibson and do not forget to keep chasing that upside every single week.